Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Friday, June the 24th, 2016. And our calling number is 646 646- 200-4169, press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're with us again today to move forward and understand the uh, the power, uh, especially of this first century Aramaic tool called forgiveness. A tool with which you can consistently, persistently, and reliably change the content of your mind. Yesterday's show, Shelley called in um, after military stress and strain and uh, a string of diagnoses of different um, disorders and hung out in that system for years, years, years. And uh, let's see, his first exposure to this work was back in February. So February to July or June. Did a week of workshops in Miami, evening workshops, and then uh, a nine-day intensive, codependence to interdependence called the show yesterday and has, uh, you know, been engaged with this system of diagnosis and treatment, psychotropics and everything else for too long a time. And all of a sudden, when he goes back to see his providers, they're saying, well, you know, that was a mistaken diagnosis. You don't have that. How is that possible? And my offering is that, by the way, it doesn't matter what your self-image, your self-diagnosis is. It is gone if you actually apply and use these tools. That's all. Now, some of those things are more persistent than others, and there's a reason for that. And that's because those self-diagnosis or diagnosis by others has been going on for many generations in the bloodline, and so it's going to take a deeper level of skills and a deeper amount of work to clear them out. But I assure you, they are all clearable from the system. And it doesn't matter what someone else's diagnosis is or your diagnosis is. With these tools, this genius Yeshua 2,000 years ago developed, you can reliably remove that from yourself. What kind of self-diagnosis or diagnosis by others? We talked about, you know, the kinds of diagnosis that uh, that happened medically uh, yesterday. So we're going to talk about more personal ones. What, what kind of self-diagnosis do people fall into? And I'd like to offer that in each case, and I guess I couldn't maybe say 100%, but I would say at least 99.9% come from messages that they got from their power person. Real or imagined messages, it really doesn't matter. Verbal or circumstance-induced messages. And when one builds an identity, and you'll remember yesterday we talked about the word persona. If you weren't on yesterday's show, you might want to go to the archives on whyagain.org 
and download yesterday's show. It's very powerful. But this word personality comes from the Greek word persona, which means mask. It's not the truth about who we are. It's a constructed mask. And the mask is constructed of messages that come from the genes and or from the power person and the culture. So this false identity is something that simply needs to be dismantled. You might remember the master who knew exactly how to dismantle these things said 2,000 years ago, in order for you to live, you've got to die. Now, if, if you look in the classic sense of, of the, the idea, that's stupid. That's stupid talk. He's going to live by dying. I mean, how ridiculous is that? No, they were talking about the self you think you are, the self based in false genetic information, false power person and cultural messages, is a false self, a persona, a personality, a mask, and it's dissolvable. And of course, when it's dissolved, it's dead. The reason why Yeshua said, in order for you to live, you've got to die, is because he was teaching people how to live by causing the death of the non-being self. So what kind of messages come from the power person? What kind of identities do people build? On what kind of foundation are these false images of self-built? Well, I'd like to run just through just a, a few of the things I've heard from people over the years. And they're things like, I'm no good, or I'll never be good enough. I always fail. I ruin things. I'll always be a big victim. I'm only good for sex. I'll always be abused. Life hurts. Oh, just wait for the other shoe to drop. I'm stupid. I'm incompetent. Men or women abuse and abandon me. I'll never make it. Don't rise above me. Ah, there's a disabled self. You're not allowed to rise above your history. Interesting, in the, in the Scandinavian countries, if you were on the show a couple of years ago, Peter talked to us about what he actually thought was a codified law written in their country structure. Found out afterward that it was actually a book that was written, but was called the Yanta Law. And the basic message was, you'll never be good enough and don't rise above me or you're in really deep trouble. Don't think anything good of yourself. Don't think you'll ever make anything of yourself. These are all structures that get built into the minds of people here. And, and here's a man who came from Scandinavia, from Sweden. And, and when he first shared that on the show, he actually believed it was codified law. What kind of other messages do we build this false self out of? I'll never make it. I'm weak and helpless. I hurt people. I always get hurt. Love hurts. All of these messages are bizarre, backward, inside out, upside down, and insane. And what we are offering is a technology decoded from the first century Aramaic teachings of Yeshua, if you're not familiar with who Yeshua is, he's the man who was called Jesus, but his name was not Jesus, Hail Zeus, it was Yeshua. And he understood the dilemma of what we call the non-being mind. You know, if you've been in our Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop, and the first hour of our newest workshop is available on our YouTube channel. If you want to access that, we... It just came across, we were going to cut it up into pieces. Well, we actually are doing that too, so it'll be just you know snippets, three minutes, five minute pieces. But we decided to put the whole, it's actually I think 52 or 53 minutes on our YouTube channel because it just so concisely put things together. If you want to access that, you can go to our website, www.whyagain.org, whyagain.org. And on the right-hand side, you'll see all the social media links. The bottom one is YouTube. Click on that little uh, arrow in the square, and it'll take you to our YouTube channel. 
run down the list and you'll see why is this happening to me again. It's, I think it's 53 minutes. But what we're looking to do is to offer to people the technology for dismantling that false self. Why does it work so effectively? And, and I'll offer that it is so effective that if you will consistently, persistently use the tool, whatever it is that you're facing in the way of your, your or someone else's diagnosis, you will reliably get rid of it. As I say, some, some of those things are deeper. Some of them have been going on for many generations, powerful identity, and it's going to take some consistent, persistent work, but all of that can be dissolved and dismantled. Why is it so effective? Because we're not looking to lay on the couch for 20 years and see if we can find the deep, dark, dirty, nasty thing that happened to us, and then we'll be fixed. That's all a fallacy. What we're looking to do is to develop something that's based in your state of being and behavior. Your state of being, and you know, we don't try to put that into words. The first question that Jeannie asks in the Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop each time we teach it is, how many have ever held a newborn? If you've held a newborn and you describe your newborn, I know right now you're smiling, whatever's going on in your life when you think about that newborn, because you're being exposed to a human life, to the conscious active presence of love. And then Jeannie asks a second question, how many have ever done something they regret? She puts a list on the board of all the descriptors of the things that people have been feeling when they've done what they've regretted. And the word love never shows up. It's always some form of hostility or fear. And so if we build a self, a persona, a mask out of hostility or fear, then we live in a state of non-being. There is no human life and a self that is based in hostility or fear. There is only human life when there is the active presence of love. So you can just look at your feelings and your behaviors. You're walking through life functioning as love, and if some form of hostility or fear comes up, that hostility or fear is rooted in data that's moving within you. And most of that data is unconscious. Behavior is an instruction from that data moving to attempt something that will relieve the stress of what's moving. And unfortunately, most of the instruction sets toward behavior are unconscious. You know, if you say to people, why did you do that? Most people say, I don't know, I just felt like it. Stop, 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 please stop. Never do what you feel like doing ever again. Unconscious thoughts moving in the structure will create feelings that will motivate you toward insane behavior. Stop. Find a way that you choose to live. We suggest you look on the Why Again site and look at the commitment. Very powerful set of behaviors for reinforcing and living an actual human life, a life based in being rather than non-being. We invite you to go to the website and download that. If that makes sense to you or if you want to adjust it, adapt it or whatever, get a set of behaviors that you choose to do, especially when you're under stress, and then do those and never do what you feel like doing again. Because if you do what you feel like doing and it's based in some form of hostility or fear, then the motivator for your behavior is unconscious. And unconscious dynamics cannot be changed. The first century Aramaic forgiveness process makes the unconscious conscious, and that's why it works. We move through life, and according to what we hold within us, we bring circumstances to us. And the content stimulated into activity by the circumstance, it's, it's kind of like a loop. The content is an energy that draws a circumstance. The circumstance amplifies the content, and that content then tends to resonate unconscious goals. Goals that are based in a false perception of self and circumstance. If you're perceiving out 
some form of hostility or fear. Your mind is constructing a reality and a self that's a lie. It's false. It's not true. Never behave out of that. But when that happens, when that event stimulates that activity of unconsciousness, that means it's crazy time. And that's what leads to people being diagnosed. Now, understanding how the mind works, you realize that what drives the movement of data in the mind, what stimulates it is circumstance, but what drives the resulting behavior is goals. So if goals activate or drive unconscious data, then it will create unconscious behavior and you only see the very tip of the iceberg. But when you understand forgiveness, when you understand that the word forgive means to cancel, then you have the key way for direct, therefore conscious access, to what was seconds ago unconscious. Let me see if that made sense to everybody. So a circumstance comes along that, let's say, resonates my hostility. My hostility is a drug that I use to anesthetize myself against pain. So maybe I had a power person who gave me continuous messages of I was stupid. So somebody comes along, out of, out of that energy moving in me, I draw somebody to say, you're stupid. That message resonates my hurt about my power person rejecting me and calling me stupid. And so that hurt moves, and now I create a goal, and my goal perhaps was, well, whenever anybody gets that hostility going on in me, I protect myself from them and I lash out. So now I've got a goal to lash out and hurt the person who resonates my hurt. And now a goal to hurt someone drives my behavior, and I do exactly what my power person did to me that I hated the most. That's the cycle of unconscious behavior. Now, lest you think that by denying and hiding things and not wanting to deal with them, you can get away from them, stop kidding yourself. You know, if you go back to the ancient scriptures, they said, nothing will remain hidden. Everything will be made known in the light of day. Whatever you hold within you is an energy that's going to produce results in your life. That's all it means, the light of day. It's going to come out in the wash. The hidden always expresses. But here's what happens. When we hide something painful, that which we hide, we've amplified or added energy to, And it means that the high-energy waves, and there are literal measurable high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought, call forward somebody to play that out with me. Nothing will remain hidden. It's going to play out. And so the very thing that I've hidden from myself in in moments of intensity, the stress is up and the chips are down, that very thing bites me in the butt. If I never drop in and change the underlying dynamics... I get to live the title of my book. Why is this happening to me again? Or we'll get people who call us and say, we understand you've got this book we'd like to buy called Why Are They Doing This to Me Again? Or Why Am I Doing This to Myself Again? The genius of this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, to show people precisely how to collapse the tip of the iceberg that keeps them distracted that is the tip of the iceberg called conscious awareness, collapse what's there that's blaming everybody else for what's happening inside of you. And when you drop into the root of behavior, when you drop into the root energy that people have diagnosed you for or that you've diagnosed yourself over, then by exposing that root energy to love, it dissolves and disappears. And the you that wasn't dies. The non-being self is gone. We're here to support 7.5 billion people ridding themselves of the non-being self. Oh, come on, Michael. How are you ever going to get to talk to 7.5 billion people? That's ridiculous. Well, you know, you're right. I'm never going to get to talk to 7.5 billion people. But here's what I am going to do. 
I'm going to deliver the tool of forgiveness to enough of them that together we create a critical mass. And the critical mass will speak to 7.5 billion people. When the energy of human life, hold the newborn to determine what being is, the energy of human life, takes over and becomes what governs the physiology rather than the non-being self, then the whole game of life changes. If we can get enough people through that gate, then we're going to be living in a conscious society. And, you know, we cannot even start to fathom what it's going to look like the morning that 7.5 billion people wake up, recognizes that they are love, that the people they called enemies love are love, and that all they have to do is function as human beings, and the whole game changes. That's what we're working toward. And so we're honored and delighted that you're here to, uh, to have this conversation and to uh, be part of cleaning up the non-being mind. Dr. Tim, I understand, is, uh, is in a uh, conference, so isn't going to be able to be with us today. So, Jeannie, any thoughts for you? And is there anybody in the chat room with a thought we should be aware of or anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? Uh, there is no hands up, and there's no questions in the chat room, so it's all quiet on the home front. Uh, the only thing that I thought of is um, to put out there, you know, we, you and I had a conversation last night. I have a good friend whose husband is um, really going through some challenges, and you were talking about, um, you know, I told you that he was depressed and that his he was having issues with his spine, a degenerative uh, genetic something that's going on in his family. And so perhaps explain to the audience the way you explained to me last night how depression is um, rage turned inward, I think is what you said. And yeah. that back pain mm-hmm. is described as rage by Dr. Sarno. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, basically that back pain specifically. Dr. Sarno is a medical doctor. I think he's 93 or 94 now. And last I heard, he was still practicing medicine at the University of Buffalo, a, uh, an orthopedic surgeon. In his early years, he used to cut on people's backs. found that just didn't really work very well. Didn't have very high success rate like uh, most back surgeons don't have. And now has an extremely high success rate. And what he does is he, as a medical doctor, teaches people that their back pain is unconscious rage. And when people begin to work with and heal their unconscious rage, their back pain goes away. And, and he says, and his, you, know, you can order his videos online, he says, you know, it doesn't matter what shape the spine's in. You know, this disc is bulged, that's cracked, this is this, this is that. He says, any of that, the body will heal itself within a very short time, but the remaining pain is a trick of the mind taking out its rage on one's own spine. It's an interesting video that um, we have a link to on our website. If you want to watch it, it's a freebie. You can go to www.whyagain.org, and there's a search bar up in the top right corner. Put the word portrait of a killer. The title of the video is Stress, Portrait of a Killer. And it recounts the research of a gentleman who's a university professor that for several years has been tracking stress markers in baboons in Africa. And he goes over there, I don't know, once or twice a year. You know, he darts these baboons and measures their stresses and is studying stress and stress hormones and such. And he creates a over a period of time, he explains, you know, that he has a relationship for and cares for these baboons, but that essentially he doesn't like them at all because they're vicious and they're mean and they're nasty with each other. But he still has this connection with them. And he laments about how someone dumped tuberculosis-tainted meat into a garbage dump and the troop of baboons found this tuberculosis-tainted meat and ate it. And he thought it was going to wipe out the whole troop. Instead, what happened 
is that all of the baboons that were vicious and mean died from the tainted meat, uh, ostensibly from the tuberculosis tainted meat. The ones who nurtured each other, cared for each other, groomed each other, survived, lived through it, didn't die. or He thought they were all going to be dead. And he said, I saw something new. A whole troop of baboons that are caring and nurturing and gentle with each other. Do you live in some form of hostility? Is your persona based in hostility? Watch out for your back. It's in trouble. And watch out if some infectious agent comes along because that additional stress along with internalized unforgiven rage and the thoughts and judgments that create rage and the pain that's under the rage, they're killers. Yeshua said, you know, that's the first order of business. And he said, what's most important in all this stuff you're teaching us, he says. And the Greeks tell us, he said, you must love God, neighbor as yourself. Not what he said at all. Vladimir Lenin says, change the meaning of a culture's words, you can destroy the culture. There is virtually no Christian culture on earth because the meaning of the words has been changed. Loving your neighbor, supposedly, as the Greeks would tell us, has nothing to do with your neighbor. It's got nothing to do with what the world calls loving somebody. Love is a state of being. It's what you are. It's not something you do to somebody else or that somebody else can do to you. But in Aramaic, what those words said was that there was a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain that was called rachma, and this is a word that was translated as love. He said, you've got to maintain rachma when you think of the creator, when you think of neighbor, in order to maintain self. So if you want to live as the true being that you are, that being that you are, love, enters into the human form through this gateway called rachma. So as opposed to love God, love neighbor as self, it's maintain rachma when you think of the creator, maintain rachma when you think of neighbor. And what this does is it inoculates you against the insanity of the culture. And then what he says is by doing so, you will maintain your human life. Just slightly different than the Greek version. So got back pain? Got pain anywhere in your structure? Start engaging in the forgiveness process and with sincere practice and willingness, there'll come a point. Now, what will that point be? Will it be tomorrow? I don't know. Maybe it'll be the worksheet you do right after the show. And maybe it won't be until the worksheet you do 10 years from now. I don't know. I can't say for you when that breakthrough is going to come for you and when you're going to shift out of the energetic patterns that have probably controlled your family system for generations. But if you will do the work, you will break out of it. Now somebody says, well, oh, Michael, if it, took, it takes me 10 years, well, you know, why would I bother? I was like, well, let's see. How old did you say you are? Oh, you're 42? Okay. In 10 years, how old are you going to be if you do your work? I'll be 52. In 10 years, how old are you going to be if you don't do your work? I'll be 52. At 52, are you going to be better off having done your work and healed that or better off not having bothered because it might take you a long time? It's like, you know, I rest my case. Do your work. Pick up the tools. Life changes. It's awesome. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. By the way, Jeannie, we certainly uh, invite everybody and we hold the space for this gentleman to be able to uh, – let go of those stresses that have kept him running so hard that his back's in that kind of shape. and The pain is that deep. And for everyone on the planet who's carrying pain around, you know, you look in so many arenas, so much suffering. I had a film that was recommended a couple of weeks ago and I got a hold of it. It's an old Spike Lee movie called Do the Right Thing. And uh, just a really powerful portrayal of how these generational patterns and, you know, racist dynamics 
uh, self-hatred all works out, plays out into self-destruction. And there's just so much totally, completely unnecessary suffering on the planet. So I invite you to pick up the tools, put them to work. That's what we're here to support you in. And if you have a question for us, again, 646-200-4169. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you or you're in the chat room, call us. If you're on the phone line and you have a question, push one, and that'll put you in queue, and we'll have a conversation. That's what we're here for, to have those conversations. Jeannie? We do have a hand up. Great. Let's say hello. Area code 207, you're on the air. Hey, Michael. This is Shelly. Hey there, okay. young man. Thank you for your input oh. yesterday. That was awesome. It just it just set the tone for what I was do, I planned to do today, so appreciate it. Yeah. It's set some processing for me. I got a question. Mm-hmm. I got to breathe. Sounds like it okay. might be, sounds like before you ask your question, just hold for a second. It sounds like before you ask okay. your question, it sounds like your throat's really tightening up and you're really locking a lot of energy in. So I'm going to invite you before you ask just to just to take slow down a little bit and take a breath. And then everything in your upper chest and your throat just soften. And your face, your jaw. Ah, just let that soften. You can't move energy that, that's locked in by everything being tight. So just take a minute. We've got time and you know, everybody's here to support you. Just just let well, that soften and open. I feel guilty when I call in and, and take up all the time, but if nobody else is going to call in, I got millions of questions. There you go. Well, there's one of those. There's one of those dynamics that I was talking about about self-diagnosis. Oh, that, that's one I need to put on my list. I don't deserve anybody to spend time on me. How how did you fare as a kid with your power person in terms of the time that was spent on you, uh, Shelley? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. I have no, no clue. I've been trying to figure out who my power person is, and I still don't know. All this time, here's, I still can't figure out who it is. Here's how you tell. When the stress is up and the chips are down, whose behavior do you do? I don't know. I think, I, do mo- I, think, I think there's several people's behavior that I do. Most, most people have more than one power person. The way you tell who your key power person is in any given circumstance, and it will shift from circumstance to circumstance, is whose behavior do I adapt when the stress is up and the chips are down? And then I just invite you to take a look at, did that person have time for you or give you messages of you don't deserve to have time spent on you? you know, we're here to spend time with you. That's, that's the purpose of this show, my friend. You deserve it. Can you breathe that one in just receive it and change that image yourself? You deserve it. Thank you. Oh, God. My question is... Sounds like a lot moving. It is a lot moving. My dilemma is is I do have someone in my life that is very special to me. She, She treats me like a king. She just treats me so well. But I have somebody else that has been in my life that I have so much pain over that I can't understand. It's been three months, and I still, every day I cry over this person. I don't understand it. So here's my input. You're never going to figure that out, Shelly. You're never going to figure that out. It's not about figuring it out. You've hooked a lot of pain into your brain's image of her, unresolved pain from your life, to your brain's image of her, and notice that when you go into pain, you go into pain about when you think about goals that you had for her and or for you and or for your relationships, your relationship that are not being achieved. Is that accurate? No. I'm not crying. I have no ill feelings for her. I have no bad feelings for her. I have, I, I, what I'm missing is all the good times that we had, and they could have been so many yeah. more, but they just ended abruptly. And yeah. it's just that's what I'm yeah. having the pain over. Is is the, the I don't even yeah. remember any of the bad crap that happened. Take a breath. You, know? you take a breath. You heard something I okay. didn't say. I didn't say anything about bad things happening. Never said a word about bad things happening. That was listening. Okay. 
That wasn't my speaking. That's what I so, wanted to hear. So my speaking, so my speaking was, notice that this pain comes up when you focus on goals that you had for her, for you, and for your relationship. Is that accurate? I'm rolling along. I have this new person in my life, and everything is wonderful. And then all of a sudden I think about, oh, I could have been doing this with her. A goal activated. I, I don't, I don't, and I don't all know of a if sudden, it's that, Michael, or if it's just the unanswered questions of the lack of closure. Well, but, I, but I, that's, that is, so, so that's a goal. Gee, I want to know what happened. I want these questions answered. Yes, and I have I a lot of pain around not understanding. It's all tied. It's all whenever pain is moving in the energy system, it's always tied to a goal. So as I and remember the word forgive in Aramaic is shabag, it's to cancel. So as I cancel the goal to understand what happened, then I can collapse the surface mind's projection of pain and I can start to drop into things at a root level, and when I bring that which is at a root level forward in the presence of love, then that root level pain starts to dissolve. Does that make sense? No. No. Okay. It does, but it doesn't seem to be the problem. The problem, I think the problem I'm having is why do I even care? I have a car wreck. She cares less if I live or die. She, why do I even care is what I need to know. Why do I even yeah. care? Yeah. So, so notice you have a goal. You have a goal to figure it out. Good breath. That's it. Okay. That's what heals. So when I cancel my need to figure it out, I cancel my need to understand it. I cancel my need to know why. When I look at each time that pain is moving in me, 100% of the time, it's always going to be the result of a goal. The goal, remember when I started the, the show out, I started to talk about the unconscious dynamics. At least 90 to 95% of the content in our mind, at least according to psychology today, it's been established that it's unconscious. What causes things to move in the unconscious, and then we just see the very tip of the iceberg. You know, an iceberg, 5% is above the surface and 95% of it's under the water. That's what destroyed the Titanic. So it's not what you're aware of in the surface mind. But when you you tap into what the goal is that you hold in the surface mind that's being frustrated, then what happens when you cancel that goal, in the Aramaic word, the Aramaic language, the word forgive is shebag, when you cancel that goal, what's going on in the surface mind collapses. It's just it's the tip of the iceberg, and you get to drop into the deeper areas of the mind. And when you drop into those deeper areas of the mind, the unconscious part, with love, present, then those things simply begin to dissolve. And it sounds like you're clearing out a layer of those relationship dynamics, which is how you're going to create the space in yourself for a whole new layer of relationship in the relationship that you're in today. This really sucks. Yes. Called healing. Never promise you a rose garden. It's not Dr. Feelgood. I promise you that. Each from new layer that you go through, from the beginning, from the beginning, and and each new layer that you go to will be deeper, and oftentimes more intense. But as you gather the skills, you'll move through it more quickly, more easily, and more pleasantly. But it still isn't fun, you know. When I go into a healing process, and if you've been listening to the show for the last few weeks, I've had a few of them, it's not fun. It's not Dr. Feelgood. And it's a process. And, and what you look for is that breath right there, that one, those two that you just did. That's that unconscious mass of energy moving and relief. Well, I've got a smile on my face. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's what it's all about. So it's moving those unconscious masses, but here's what happens. When these unconscious masses start to move because we've denied and said, no, I don't want to deal with that. I'm not going to look at that. We use a goal to make pictures of other people, and we go, yes, see, when I think about her, that's when I'm in pain. Excuse me, it's got nothing to do with her. Your goal around her 
is what causes your mind to use your unconscious pain to make pictures of her so you can think that it's about her. But it's not about her. It's about your content. Well, I actually realize I know the pain's not about her because I think nothing bad about her. Right. I think absolutely nothing bad about anybody. You know, I've actually, since I've met you, I actually think nothing bad about anybody I meet, know, ever met, ever known. I, I realize that everything, I realize that they're all good people. Everybody's good. It's just, they're different. There's no, actually, they're not even good or bad. They're just people. Just people. All, all just people. beings based in love. It's what we all are. And you might want to pay attention to your words because your words tell you that there's still some bad thoughts around people. You know, if, if truly it were about, I only see the good, I'd be saying, you know, I think about somebody I was angry at then, or just, and, and I just think good about them now. But notice that each time you speak about this, and we've done this three or four times in the show, had conversations around this issue, it's always, well, I don't have any bad thoughts about them. I'm offering that, you know, and this is something we'll go into deeply in our Laws of Living Intensive where we look at words and how words are a reflection of what's moving in brain cells. And so I'd offer, I'd do some worksheets around bad feelings you have about others, and you're going to uncover all layer of stuff there that you've been hiding from yourself. And when you bring the unconscious material, when you bring what's in hiding, you know, Carl Jung, we do not become enlightened by imagining images of light. We become enlightened by bringing the darkness to the light. When you let that darkness come to the active presence of love, it just dissolves. That's all. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to fool with it. You just bring it forward right. in the presence of love. You said I need to do worksheets about what? About bad feelings about people. Bad feelings. Okay. And that'll just open a whole other space in your mind for that to dissipate and disappear. All right. Thank you. Hey, we're glad to be on the team and delighted to have you on ours. I look forward to seeing you uh, uh, later in July. Yes. You're not on the team. You are the team. Hey, (laughs) glad to be there, sir. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you, Jeannie. Love you guys. All right. Love you, Bye-bye. too. Bless. Bye-bye. Okay, we do have another call. Ah, and I breathe with you. Okay, sweetie, let's say hello. Eric code 808, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. This is Hi there, young lady. How are things in Hawaii? <laughs> well, um, I don't really feel like I can answer that question. Because I've been uh, trying to take care of me for a while. I did Mm. something like nine worksheets yesterday, which started started while the program was on. I had to hang up and do a couple of worksheets. Uh, So, uh, but I, uh, I've been kind of in shock about what your voice. I, I get where you're going, I think, and what you're what you're talking about, and your voice strong sounds stronger than I've ever heard it. So you did some effective work yesterday, I suspect. Good, good. Yeah, I think I did some good work yesterday. I cool. I um um before the radio program yesterday, I listened to the program on Tuesday, and I am somewhat in shock um, because I had gotten triggered during that program very deeply and there were only mm-hmm. two minutes left and I don't I'm sure you know that when when uh, you've got someone uh, like me on the on the phone uh, that if one person is talking the other person can't hear so it was very shocking for me to hear how you kept saying uh, we're out of time we're out of time we're out of time I didn't hear you say that at all and I mean I, I knew we were but um, I, I, I just wanted to call in now because um, I want to make sure that that I don't uh, cut my 
relationship with you and the radio program and Jeannie and the rest of all the uh, awesome people who are committed to this work and who tune in on a daily basis. I don't I don't want to succeed in cutting myself away. I so, so I called in. So 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 let me just hear uh, let me repeat what I heard. So what mm-hmm. you want to do is cut off your relationship with me and the show and the people on it? Is that what I heard? No, there's a temptation to do that because I felt so embarrassed and ashamed. Mm. Okay. Yeah. To, to well, avoid I'll, I'll, feeling ashamed and embarrassed, that that would be just cut it out of my life. That's that's a pattern I think I I probably have. So nice catch. So, some worksheets on shame and embarrassment. That's good. Yeah. Some some of those yesterday were, well, um, yeah, a lot of them were about what happened. So, um, but yeah. you know, I watched uh, I watched Glory, the movie Glory. And I had postponed watching whoa, 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 Hold it. Hold, hold it. Okay. Hold it. Before we leave this topic, yes. I, I have some thoughts I want to complete around this topic before we go on to a different topic. Thank you. All right. And that is, one, I acknowledge you with that old habit of cutting off to come forward and, and share the truth, your truth, what's going on for you. That's yeah. awesome. And I, I'm, I invite you to look at your words because remember mm-hmm. Shakespeare told us, my words fly out, my thoughts remain below. So. Yes. I think I'm saying that I want to stay connected, but right. the predominant energy in my unconscious is that of disconnecting still when I say, right. well, I don't want to cut off. So I'll invite you to do some worksheets on cutting people off in relationship. And, and then for me, I, I understand that there's usually, with, with this technology, I mean, it's awesome, but there's a, uh, an, an overlap in, in the voices, and that's why when we get to the end of the show, and I know somebody can't hear me, that's why I'll keep repeating it because I want to pull back and I want to do a closure with you I rather know. than just leaving it hanging where it cuts off, yes, you know, where I the know. show cuts off. I want to do yeah. a closure, and that's why I keep saying, hold it, hold it, stop, stop, it. I know. hoping that, that it'll break through there a little bit so that it can be heard. So there's, there is some space for closure. So that's why I do that. Yeah. And, I mean, I knew that. I knew and, that. Yeah, nothing to be embarrassed about. That's, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, just vulnerable, you know. Oh, vulnerability. Mm, I hear you. That's uh, very much what's been up for me is feeling very, very vulnerable. And I I think it's a good thing, actually. I mean, you, dead people don't feel vulnerable. And um, right. babies, newborn Part people, babies are... Yeah. So... Um, So what it sounds like to me energetically uh-huh. that you've done yeah. is you've shifted a at least a big chunk just listening to your voice and tapping into your energy that you've shifted a big chunk of victimhood. That, yes. that victimhood twist uh-huh. that's usually in your voice uh-huh. is totally gone. Really? And that's pretty awesome. Well, and that's, that's pretty related, awesome. It's related to that movie last night. Because yeah, tell us I about the movie. Glory is the movie about mm-hmm. uh, the first black regiment in the Civil War. Um, and um, they, they pretty much all died um, in, a, in a hopeless charge of a fort along the uh, Carolina coast. But it inspired President Lincoln when he heard about them to actually open up the, um, the possibility of becoming a soldier to black people. And 120,000 uh, black men uh, became part of the Army. And Lincoln, L- Lincoln attributed the, the, the winning of the war to that addition, uh, partly, of course, partly attributed it to that addition of those soldiers who were so inspired by the originals. Now, I got about a third of the way into the film, and I'd been doing worksheets all day long, so I saw that I was really stimulated, so I stopped the film, and I did a worksheet, and what I noticed in the worksheet was that I was identifying with, let me read the word exactly here, 
I was identifying with uh, with uh, underdog, underdog. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is basically victim. Uh, yeah. And so I completed the worksheet, and then. Um, nice. You know, yeah. And uh, it's a. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, feelings can be what we would claim positive or negative. I mean, we don't uh, enjoy feeling pain and hostility, but we usually do enjoy feeling love and appreciation and gratitude. But just to make sure that I didn't have any little stray things left over when the movie was finished, I did another worksheet and. I really didn't find anything that the feeling topic in that worksheet was love, admiration, and respect. And I couldn't find anything that was negative in that. And when I was finished, I had a kind of neutral feeling, um, you know, that intense love and admiration and Respect, which was really pouring through my system. In the last scene in that movie, I couldn't help. I was sitting here on the couch, and my arms were both raised up and my palms facing the screen. It was like, oh, my God, I was praying with my whole body for all of those people. But um, Careful careful where your energy goes. You just <laughs> do that little twist of energy there. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like an awesome, awesome piece of work. That's fabulous. Yeah. Movies can be well, so powerful to give yeah. us those opportunities. Well, and, you know, I really wanted to, I mean, I basically sort of kind of tried to do it myself because I've been hearing for 20 years at least that you have um, used movies to trigger yourself so that you could clear more. So I I kind of, there was part of me that wanted to ask you how you do it, but I just kind of basically did it myself. And, uh, nice. Did, did I do it right? Well, I'll, I'll just I mean, offer you have that. Something to seeing add as how here I, am on the, here I am on the other side of the ocean, and uh-huh. on your first three words I can pick up the shift in your energy. Obviously you did it right. But, uh-huh. but you might want to look in the context of the introduction to the workshop – what kind of messages you got from your power person if I never do it right? To oh, think yeah. that of yourself. When, I mean, when you're acknowledged for that deep a shift on just three words that you speak, uh-huh. to still hold that might mean that, might point to, ah, oh, maybe I've got some work to do on messages I got from my world and from my power person that I could never do it right. And oh, well, that'd be some yeah. good worksheets. I've been aware since I've been listening to the radio programs, which I think is getting close to being a month now. I've been aware that um, I there's something in me that kind of casts you in the role of a power person. And so some of the sheets I did... I hope not. Well, I know. I know that's why you don't capitalize the first letters of your name and, and that you've been doing that for 25 years too but um, so some of the sheets I did were about you I don't really you know the term power person I don't remember that term from 25, 20, 27 years ago I didn't you, have you that back talk, yeah I don't think you did and and yeah. I would like to hear you talk about it a little bit sure If you sure. Would. actually we've got about 6 minutes it would be perfect time to, perfect. Uh, to share a little bit about uh, power person. So I, I hope I'm not functioning as a power person because by, by definition in this work, a power person is someone who had more power over another person's life than that individual did for themselves. Right. And the individual who was, had the power being held over them perceived it as a survival situation and what completes the definition of the power person is the power person wasn't functioning as love. Um, so the 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 um, 
I'll just say young person, then you'll know who I'm talking about. The, okay. the young yep. person perceived uh, survival, necessary survival, right. attached to that power person. In the circumstance where the events happened. Yeah, like so parents the elements or are, sibling or something. Yeah, it's usually a parent, and oftentimes it will be an older sibling. It, it uh-huh. can be, it can happen anywhere. It can happen when you're 80. You know, yeah. cults, cults oh, yeah. have as their objective the mm-hmm. shifting of power persons, like the mm-hmm. military. It's the biggest cult on the planet. They uh-huh. have been practicing for so long, they know exactly how to put you into survival situations. If you go into their training programs, it's, it's a form of brainwashing where they put you into survival. They're not functioning as love, and perceiving it as survival, you take on their behaviors. Right. So what happens, you know, someone who's has an unresolved power person issue is limited in their lives to only three behaviors. Yeah. And the three behaviors, the, which behavior is in control, is determined by the level of stress that one is under. So okay. when there's no stress, I'll do, until I resolve this dynamic, I'll do whatever I did to get along with my power person. When stress starts to build, I'll do whatever I did. There's an automatic decision system. This is, if you remember, this is laws of living stuff. There's the automatic decision system that kicks in and forces me to do what I did to resist and survive with my power force. Remember, this is all ah, behavior. Oh, okay, I, so I good. did what I, 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 I'm driven to do what I did to resist and survive with my power force in the second stage. Then... Okay. Ultra stressed. When I become ultra stressed, I'll do whatever my power person did to me that I hated the most. Oh God, yes. Huh. Okay. Let me. I'm just yep, trying to write it. this down as you speak it. What I uh, with a high stress, I end up doing what I did to survive. No, with them. No, that's when with, there's when there's when when I when there's medium stress, I do what I did to survive with them. Right. That's what no I'm stress. Saying. What I did to get along. Medium stress, when stress starts to build, whatever I did to resist and survive. And ultra stress, I do what they did. Ultra stress, I'll do not just what they did, but I'll do what they did to me that I hated most. So when you watch somebody under high stress and their behavior, you know exactly, I mean, irrefutably, undeniably, absolutely, totally, completely, (laughs) you know what their power person did to them that they hated most. And it's always a safe bet, not always safe because it can bring up a lot of rage for people, but it's always a safe bet to know that that's the way their power person behaved toward them. And you can ask the question. Oftentimes this breaks the, the spell to a degree of the power person dynamic by simply asking when somebody's under stress and, you know, they're raging or doing whatever they're doing to just say to them, how did it feel when your power person did that to you? Oh, wow. So how and did people you, go um, back and, how, how did you, un, uh, how did you develop this? All of the above, all of the above. It's 50 years of work. Yeah. But, I mean, I never heard it 25 years ago, so I was kind of curious. Well, I hadn't developed that workshop 25 years ago. It's one of the latest workshops that I've developed. What's the the name of the workshop? Codependence to Interdependence. Oh, yes. Well, you were just beginning with that. Uh Yeah, yeah. There is a DVD Uh on the website you can order of it, and it's pretty powerful stuff. And we're down to about 60 seconds, so I'm going to have to uh, close the show up. But awesome, nice work, young lady. All right, blessings. And we appreciate everybody for your participation, you know, your questions, your comments make it uh, so empowering for everybody to uh, to really tap in. So thank you for that. And uh, we hold the space for you to have the absolute best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. If you're ready for an intensive, let us know. Laws of Living and 9 Day Y is this happening to me again this summer. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. 
For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.